It's Tepo Waffle Time! Welcome to Tepo Waffle. I'm Troy, I'm and Steve. this is Steve, and this is Tepo Waffle. Indeed. Should we start again? Whatever. Okay. Um, today, we're going to talk about a question that came up uh, in a conversation that I had with a teacher. With a teacher or a trainee or a No, it was a teacher colleague. in a school. All right, so the question was, do I have to elicit? But let me just give you some background to the question. He did a course in which eliciting was prioritized, was um, being able to elicit was a big part of the course. Okay, fair enough. And um, he, he, it was quite a prescriptive course. You had to do it this way. Yeah. And he'd been teaching for five or six months, and he'd come to the conclusion that eliciting in the way that he'd been taught to elicit was... What, redundant or Well, I don't know. So, yeah, so his question was, do I really have to elicit? And I said, well, yes. And he said, but it wastes so much time. He's not wrong. Yeah, so that's the question. Do we have to elicit? Because no, you don't. It, it doesn't... No, you don't have to elicit. So why is it such a, such a prescription on these pre-service courses like the one he did? Uh, I, I would say you don't have to elicit, but you should be. Uh, I mean, it's part of... Well, this is actually a bigger question than I realized. Okay, well, the, I mean, that, that answer of yours is pretty good so far because the answer to all teaching questions is no, you don't no, have to do anything. To. But if we don't have to do anything, then what do we have, then what do we do? Okay, so back to the question. Yeah. Do we have to elicit? No. No, we don't have to, but should we you elicit? should. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so let's go with the should then. Okay, so uh, I'm going to have like 17 different answers to this. I, I think they're all complementary. They're not different. Okay, let's go step one. Uh, this concept of cognitive demand, being sure that your students are actually paying attention, in, that they're mentally engaged in what's going on in the lesson. I would say that step one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a teacher is purely saying, this word is pen, 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 write the word pen. Everybody say pen, pen. Okay, I, I don't know if there's any <laughs> mental engagement from the, from the students. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, in actual fact, that's to me that's the most important one. If if you're eliciting, if you're asking questions and the students are answering the questions, that means that their in their engagement in the lesson is probably pretty high, or at least whoever's answering the question. Okay. Um. Pause for a second. I need to look up a word, and we're going to. Da 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 da. That's a little pause. Okay. Ah, was that the whole music? Yeah, that was the whole music. Yeah. All right. Uh, Steve. Yeah. So, uh, this thing is called an aglet. Aglet. An aglet. Very good. Aglet. Aglet. So, uh, an aglet is a sheath or covering for the end of a rope or string designed to stop fraying. Okay? Got it? <laughs> sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I haven't bothered to elicit. Yeah. Can everyone say aglet? Aglet. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Right. So no, no. My question for you is: Do you have a a picture? Like, can you imagine? Can you view an aglet in your head right now? Do you have a picture of an aglet? Is it a tassel? No, it's a, it's a sheath or covering for the end of rope or string that's designed to stop fraying, and often make threading easier. It's an aglet. Oh right. 
this is. I think this is a big part of well, the emissary. A, yeah, I'm that well, the yeah. language is supposed to be attached to something meaningful, not to a dictionary definition. Words have meaning and they exist in the world. All right. Okay. So that's the first thing. Is is the engagement with the student? It's a, It's not just the engagement. So my first answer was the engagement, the cognitive demand. Yeah. The second answer is that without eliciting your language is often contextless. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it has to be. It just tends to happen that way. Mm. It's just this word means this. This word means that. Here's the definition that I looked up before class and have a nice day. Well, it's not even with uh, with vocabulary, with grammar as well. Some, yeah. uh, uh, this is particularly the case with grammar. Getting up and saying, here's a present perfect tense, here's an example of it. Copy it in your book, right now you know the present perfect tense. But if you don't know the context that that language belongs in, in yeah. then uh, the whole thing is just a waste of time. Well, it's a theoretical thing then. Yeah. And it's the same as Aglet. It's a theoretical thing, not a practical thing. Mm. So there's cognitive demand, there's that... Contextualization. Contextualization. So language, when it's in context, allows you to apply it. The other big part of the eliciting, it's not just the eliciting, it's that, to me, the difference between eliciting and, and concept checking is actually quite murky. Uh, sure, we use different question structures when we are concept checking versus when we elic- are eliciting quite often, Tend to use lots of yes or no questions in elicit, uh, in concept checking, and more closed wh ones in eliciting. But effectively, you're doing the same thing. You're asking questions because you, as the teacher, should know whether or not the students are actually following you. And if you're not asking questions, you have no idea. These kind of questions are display questions, and the what their their purpose is is to force the students to display what it is that they know or that they think. Ah, uh, well, well, that's another part of it. Finding out what the students already do or do not know, and how well they do or do not know it. Yeah, that's another answer to listening. Yeah, so for me, that would be the big. Re- that is the big reason why I listen. I want to know what the students already know, and then use that as the platform for teaching whatever is it new. Is unknown. Right. If they already know what it is that I'm supposed to be teaching them, well, then I can just plunge straight into the activities and get them to practice it. If sure. they don't know, then I need to contextualize it more, add in, fill in the gaps that they don't. But the the thing is that if you don't start where they're already at. Uh, you've got a lesson that's just sitting in the middle of nowhere without any links to anything. And no. it's, it's vague. It's theoretical. It's not, it's not practical. So how about the contention that it takes a lot of time? It absolutely does. I, I do not disagree at all. I can tell you what an aglet is and define it in 30 seconds. Mm. Uh, but to elicit, not that I'd ever actually elicit aglet, I, I obviously looked up a word that was pretty sure you wouldn't know. Mm. It was uh, a nice background music while you were doing that. Uh, you, really? You've mm. got custom hold music. <laughs> uh, the, okay, my better take on this question is not why do we elicit, period. It's why am I trying to elicit something that I know the students don't know? Ah, but you see, the thing is that you don't know that the students don't know that. I, think I know a lot that of you don't know Aglet. I know. I'm, well, obviously it's not 100%. But no, but I mean, the thing is that if something's in the curriculum, you don't know that the students don't know it. I mean, there's no way that you don't know that. There's no way that you don't know that they don't know that because they come into classroom with all sorts of knowledge and there's yeah. 30 of them or 50 of them. And 
the level of knowledge of every single student is going to be different. So when you start your eliciting, somebody might know that thing. Somebody might know quite a lot about it already. And if it's coming from another student in the class, uh, the students who don't know that thing, this is now not frightening teacher-based knowledge. This is something that other people in the class know. I think also part of the eliciting is bringing everybody up to speed, getting everybody up to, as a class, now we are all at this level of knowledge. You came in with some stuff that you already know. You have a vague idea that you may have actually seen that word somewhere before. Uh, you know the word, but it doesn't mean what you think it meant. You've never heard of the word before. Uh, you, as soon as the word came up from relative, went, oh, yeah, I do know that word. But the act of eliciting is bringing everybody up to the same level of knowledge. That at this point, we all know what this word is, when it's used, why it's used, how it's used, what it looks like, what it sounds like. Yeah, okay, so I have, um, I mean, my, my feeling about eliciting is more closely related to schema theory. Okay. I use, back to the contextualization, back to the contextualization issue, I use the opportunity in the eliciting stage of my lesson to open up everybody's schema. So we're going to be talking about fashion. Um, my eliciting is to get everybody to start thinking about... About fashion. That, that question, and that allows them to brainstorm the words that they need. Or By the to way, think that about was a terrible way of opening a lesson. We're going to be talking about fashion. No, no, but I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to be clear no, that that wasn't no, an example. No, I'd walk in with a big flowery headdress and a... <laughs> and a polka dot dress. <laughs> yeah. And obviously a, a lovely velvet clutch. And then elicit what it is that I'm wearing. Okay. I'm sure that they're no clutch. <laughs> yeah. Well, clutch is a, good, a great example of... All right, so I want to elicit, for some reason, on the curriculum is the word clutch because I'm teaching adult students in a university and it's their extracurricular stuff and they're all in the design and fashion program. So I've, <laughs> I've got to elicit clutch. Well, uh, I, I have a reasonable no. certainty that they don't know no, the word clutch. No, I don't think you're going to be able to elicit clutch necessarily. Okay, so this is the point. Yeah. I can't elicit clutch because But you will be able clutch. to elicit handbag and you will be able to elicit... What if I can't elicit handbag? No, well, then you'll be able to elicit bag. Surely. Was it bag? No, okay, okay, I'm come going on. to extremes. Okay, you'll be able to get something. You'll get bag. Yeah. Um, then you sh- from there you should be able to say, okay, well we've got different kinds of bags, and then you could elicit backpack and whatever. Yeah. If they still if don't give you handbag at this point, you can give them handbag. The the scheme is open. They know yeah. that we're talking about bags, and then you can say, what about a little weenie one? Okay. Because that's what a clutch is, right? I I think so. I think it's <laughs> like a it's like a big purse that you hold it doesn't have a handle I think Apparently I should probably know what words are before I try to yeah, elicit them there's a 17th century kind of handbag which was like so small you could only carry a coin in it, in it. yeah, yeah that's that. right I'm trying to think of what it's called it was something um, weird like a clam or an oyster no or no it was something, something like, like a uh, oh yeah okay yeah. anyway you wouldn't elicit that because they don't know that okay I don't even know that. but what I say is that uh, even if you, they don't know a handbag or anything else in this situation, it's not that my students have no concept of what a handbag is. The of act of eliciting one, yeah. is, even if they, I, I can't elicit the word, what I'm actually doing is making sure that all of us are thinking about the same thing so that when that thing gets labelled, whether that's an action or a feeling or a, a clutch or whatever, when that thing gets labelled, 
we are all labeling the same mental image. Mm. And then I'm going to back that up by concept checking, which is going to expand uh, how that word can be applied in, in some other scenarios. So I'm not going to go in and say, guys, this is called an aglet, and it's a, it's a sheath on the end of a cord. Because that just everyone will actually say, oh, okay. Because they think they understand. But if I said to them, draw an aglet, they'd all go, wait, what? What? Uh, oh, it turns out I don't know what an aglet is. The act of eliciting, I would say, is, is in part the response to... The act of not eliciting is very problematic, therefore elicit. Mm. You all think you know what an aglet is when I define it for you. It's only when I ask you to draw an aglet that you realise suddenly you don't actually know. You thought yeah. you knew, but you don't. So the, the example that I use, uh, or I used in, in this particular case, is when you're learning how to play <coughs> golf, let's just say, mm-hmm. and you've got a new coach. Yep. If the coach walks up to you and starts talking about your swing without having first seen what your golf swing looks like... You're going to be annoyed. Well, uh, yeah, what's he talking to me? He's got to look at what I do, and then he's got to start telling me what... Okay, that's a, yeah, right. um, so that's the, that's the idea with the class. You you say, well, what, let's see what we already know about this thing. Bags or yeah. sheaves. Aglets. Yeah, but, but sheaves in general. Okay. Uh, we'll get to... The aglet in a minute. We we let's talk about things that cover other things. Is that what a sheath? A sheath. Like? Yeah. A sheath. A sheath. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Doctor Steve. Um, <laughs> okay, let's go back to the uh, the basis of this question. Then, do I have to um, elicit because it's taking a lot of time? Now, the the issue of time in the classroom and how we use the time well. It's a good question. It is a good question. Yeah. Can't I, isn't my time better spent doing something something else? No. If, I, if the question is phrased, does it take a lot of time? I have to acknowledge that yes, it does. If the question is, uh, is it a waste of time? My answer is no. It's an investment. Yeah. It's an investment because it's getting all the students on the same page and it's engaging them in the lesson. And okay. The fact that you're losing a lot of time, though, means that you're losing something else in the lesson. Sure. And in this case, it's losing... He, he's falling behind in the curriculum. Oh, really? Uh, then I think I'm going to have to go back and re-interpret re- his question. Uh, his question should have been, how do I elicit well or effectively or... Um, not effectively, let's call it... What would you call it? But, I mean, that question is hard to answer because it depends... Are you are you listening vocabulary? Are you listening grammar? Are you listening concepts? Uh, are you just opening the lesson with a general eliciting to see what's going on? Efficiently, let's call it. How do you elicit efficiently is a better way of looking at it. Because it may take time or it may be fast. Uh, in my experience, the most inefficient eliciting is a guessing game. It's just a guessing game. The students are sitting there trying to guess what word is in the teacher's head. Mm. And... Uh, the fact of the matter is that if it's become a guessing game, that's not eliciting anymore. As far as I'm concerned, that's not what eliciting is. So what do you, uh, what sort of food could you find in an Italian restaurant? Spaghetti, okay, and something else? Pizza, okay, something else? 
uh, this is not the way to elicit penne regatta. <laughs> I think that's a, type of, that's a type of pasta. I think there's two different types of pasta, actually. I think that this whole podcast is just showing us how, we, how little we know about <laughs> things. <laughs> but that's not the way to elicit that t- type of pasta, mm. right? What could you find in an Italian restaurant? It's a guessing game. But the thing is that... that my argument would be, well, as soon as they've elicited, as soon as you've got a pasta out of them, then you can say, okay, well, what's this one called? No, you don't know. Well, it's penne regatta yes. or whatever. So that's the point is, efficient eliciting, efficient eliciting, efficient eliciting is not just, oh, you're such a skillful teacher, you can draw any language out of the students. Efficient eliciting is you, the teacher, finding out as quickly and as clearly as possible what it is that the students do or do not know. Because finding out that they don't know it is still eliciting. Mm. I've elicited the idea from you, I've confirmed that we are all thinking about the same thing, and I know you don't know the word. That's, and at that point you model it. Yeah. And mm. that's still eliciting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the... Hang on, we've jumped around so much. Yeah. Reasons to elicit participation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, involved, making, involvement. Yeah. making sure everybody's on the same page with page. what you're thinking about. Uh, getting everybody up to this up to speed. Yep. Uh, there's, um, I suppose the uh, this whole thing about being student centered in general. If you're not eliciting, what are you doing? Mm. Are you just lecturing? Or, or you're just reading aloud from the dictionary if it's vocabulary or reading aloud from from Dr. whatever the Indian guy's name was with my first grammar book. Yeah. You, know, um, uh, you see, that's, that's what I was thinking. The guy, this particular teacher, so hung up on, on keeping up with the pacing guide or making sure that he finishes the book or um, whatever it is, that he's not actually teaching the students at all. He's teaching the curriculum. Okay. Making sure that the making sure that the textbook is done, covered. and I understand that because teachers have got to finish the book that they're given. It's a test, right? And I can't run over ten minutes because they have math class after me. Yeah, so the the washback from the test or the demand for the book to be done becomes more important than the students learning, and yeah. so I don't want to elicit because I've got stuff to do, and it's it's about what I need to do rather than what the students need to learn, that eliciting starts getting sidelined. Okay, um, have you ever been in a scenario where eliciting wasn't working for you? Sure, of so course, yeah. Give me your situation. Can you remember it? Uh, I can remember a particular Well, I'm one not... Uh, okay, go with yours. Uh, I've okay. got so many. Uh, large classrooms of young kids or teenagers. Yeah. Eliciting can be very problematic because it's a very... In essence, it's quite a teacher-centered moment of the classroom. Mm. You are front and center and you're trying to get... 25 or 40 kids to pay attention to you while you're eliciting. And inevitably, six of them are answering your questions. And you're struggling quite... I mean, if you're on the ball, you're working quite hard and you're trying to throw questions to the back corner of the classrooms to to get them to pay attention. But inevitably, not everyone is going to pay attention while you are eliciting. And then you get to the next activity. Let's say it's a simple vocab matching exercise. And half the students can't do a third of the words. 
because they go, I don't know what the word means, because I wasn't paying attention. I was distracted by my friend who was telling me about his new phone. Um, in, in the presentation stage, eliciting is an important part. Yeah. Um, but drilling should also be an important part to check the pronunciation. But with big classes and with distractible students, yeah. drilling helps to bring everybody back on task. It forces students who weren't paying attention to go, huh, what's that word? Um, and I, that's why I concept check after I drill, not before, so that the drilling can bring everybody back on track. And then the concept check is the way for the weak students to confirm what it is that they... Didn't know. They didn't, yeah. Okay. Uh, I concept check. My concept checks are always closed. Yes, your concept checks are always closed. Closed questions, yeah. With so things, uh, like if I'm concept checking glasses, um, I'll do, can I put them on my face? Yeah. Uh, rather than WH questions, which, where do I put them? Uh, yeah, I, I do the same. I, I do sometimes use WH questions, but they're always WH ones with a like a single predetermined right, answer. Right, very close. So, so, then what, the... uh, so what time of the day do you eat breakfast? Oh, okay. So then I know that the weak students who weren't really sure about it or weren't listening to it the first time can still get a chance second time around. But even then, if they don't get it, if half the class doesn't get a third... I still don't think that's really problematic because the point of a practice task, if they're paired up, is that they've got a chance to relearn it from yeah. one another. Um, mm. I, I do agree, but I do find myself when eliciting from rowdy classes mm. to get quite quickly to the I'm going to put this word up on the whiteboard and move on to concept checking. So uh, the example that I was trying to elicit, I can, it was uh, I don't mind something. Um, which is a very confusing... Like, the way it's phrased is very confusing because uh, it, it's, it's easy to look at it. It means that you don't think about it. But one of the other words that I was listening was can't imagine. Now, I don't mind it and I can't imagine it and mean completely different things, uh, and yet if you analyse them, they seem almost the same. And I had a... I was reasonably certain that these terms were going to get confused. Uh, so I, I had a picture of a woman washing the dishes, and I asked if washing the dishes are fun. No, washing the dishes is not fun. Uh, do you like washing the dishes? No. How does this woman feel? And she had like a, a little smile on her face. And they said, happy. And I said, so do you think she likes to wash the dishes in her free time? Does she wash the dishes to relax? No. Okay, so how does she feel about washing the dishes? What could we say? And what did they say? They didn't. Because how do you elicit, I don't mind? I mean, it's, yeah. it's a genuine yeah. question. So how do you elicit, She doesn't hate I it, but mind. she doesn't want to do it in her free time. Yeah, but then, but you've got the concept now. Yes. Yeah. So have I elicited the word? Well, how do you define the word eliciting? Mm. Because... In my opinion, I've elicited the concept of don't mind. Yeah. I did give the students a chance. Does anyone know what we would call that? But it would be kind of a guess I think on their I part, th and I gave them I don't I mind. I think you're right. I think because the students don't answer doesn't mean you didn't Haven't elicit it. Yeah. Or the point of eliciting is not always to make every student say the thing that you want them to say, because otherwise you don't need to teach it to them. Um, yeah. But opening up 
the need for that word, making sure that the students see that there is a, a, a word gap that here that they need a word for, yeah, yeah is because they probably have a word in their language for that thing, which is something that you don't like doing, but you don't mind doing it or you whatever. Uh, yeah, quite other languages have that word yeah. as well. Yeah, good. Uh, the, just while you were talking, I remember the one that I was struggling with, or that I I remember it, it was it's grammar. I always struggle with grammar. Um, okay. And the one it was used to. I, I used to uh, do something okay. like, um, because it was so similar to past tense yeah. and I, I couldn't get the used to from the, the class I remember that but you that didn't elicit the concept I elicited yeah I, I landed up confusing them because then the whole th- the rest of the lesson was well can't I just use the past tense for this but then um, you haven't concept checked properly uh, well, yeah well the whole thing is uh, I didn't contextualise the need for a past habit rather than a past event, which okay. is the difference between yeah. the two things, which was a good lesson for me. Sure. But, but I... Um, Strangely yeah. enough, used to was one of the ones that I missed, was my first mess up for concept checking. Well, the first one that I really noticed the absolute need for concept checking. I concept checked that it was a habit that you did in the past that you don't do any longer. I actually concept checked those parts. And then my students use, I used to visit... England. It was a, a place. Mm. I used to visit England. But they actually meant, I, I been. have been to England. Mm. I didn't concept check that it was a repeated mm. action, not a, a one-off. So, uh, for me, concept checking and listening are actually... It's a hand-in-glove. Hand hand so, All right. let's, let's have a word from my I have a question for you. Uh, do you wear shoes? I do. Uh, do you often... Do you ever wear running shoes? I do. How do they stay on your feet? Don't they just fall off? No, they've got laces. Oh, they've got laces on them. And that, the lace, I mean, a lace is just a piece of string, right? Sort of. Yeah, yeah. it's a piece of string. Does it ever annoy you when, like, all the ends of the bits of string, like, they get all fluffy and stringy and Yeah, because then you can't and, lace it properly. Yeah. But often on uh, shoelaces, they have, like, something over the end of it. Do you know what it's made from? Plastic? Yeah, it's made from plastic. Do you, do you, any idea what that thing's called? No. Oh, you don't. Okay, anyone else know? No. I have a big crowd in the room behind me. All right, we call that an aglet. Troy writes on the whiteboard, aglet. Mm, wonderful. Right. So do you think an aglet could be anything, on anything else? What's this? Holds up picture of a sailboat. And how do the masts say up? Rope. Could you have an aglet on the end of the rope? Yes. Mm. You can have an aglet on the end of your sport shorts. Yes, you you can. You could. Uh, All right. In that moment, I'm such an efficient teacher that I'm I'm wearing a pair of baggy sweatpants with a drawstring on them, so I can start waving it about. Okay, <laughs> where else could I have an aglet? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well elicited. Yes. Okay. You elicited your aglet. Um, it's time for a word from our sponsors. Right. Okay. So today's sponsor. Mm. So for all of you who are big fans of... Are te- you going to elicit the sponsor from us? No. Oh. Sorry. For all of you who are big fans of uh, Tefl Waffle, yep. I'd like you to all rate and review us on uh, tangerinetunes.com. Tangerinetunes.com. Are, is a great site for all your podcasting needs. Yes, okay. And so, ra- Tefl Waffle's there, but other place, other things are there too, which yes. you might want to listen to. And they have a very interesting rating scale, so we'd like you to please give us nine out of seven jelly beans. Right. Why nine? 
Can't they have uh, ten? That, that's their system. No, it only goes up to seven, but they're going to give us nine. All oh, right. Yes. Yeah, please give us nine out of seven jelly beans. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Have a great everything. Elicit well. Yes, and uh, sorry, what are we doing now? Ending. Okay. Pet Falafel is proudly brought to you by the non-stop buffalos, Troy and Steve. For any question, comments, complaints, or queries, you can email tefolverfall at gmail.com or visit www.tefolverfall.com.